Good morning, Finity Church. Y'all have been so welcoming to my family and myself. You can, you can sit down. <laughs> it's great, great to be here. Just share a little bit again. You kind of know a little bit about what I'm doing. I've been in ministry for 18 years, and God called me to plant a church. And I was like, oh my goodness, what's that going to look like? So we began to pray uh, through this journey last year. And in September, we said, okay, we think this is what God has for us. So I went and shared it. Uh, with my pastor at the time, and he did not see the same vision that I saw. Um, so we said, okay, well, wait a second. Let's take a step back, and let's kind of reevaluate, and let's, let's pray through this some more. So we took a couple more months, and we came up with the same answer that this is what God wants us to do. And we went back to my pastor and shared it with them, and they, we worked through that process, and they kind of let us go and went through a bunch of crazy training, and we're Planning a church in Piedmont. Anybody familiar with Piedmont? Any? Okay, so some of y'all know. And we really want to focus on the Piedmont proper area, kind of right there by uh, the Saluda River, the Saluda River Grill, just right in that area somewhere. And, and why Piedmont? Well, there's, a, there's several churches in Piedmont, but I like to say it this way. There's not really a, a fresh gospel presence in the town of Piedmont. There, um, there are churches that are just kind of there. They've been there. And they're, they're really struggling. And we just want to come inside there. And we don't want to compete with those churches. We want to work alongside them and come alongside them. And so I've met with the pastors. And not only is there old Piedmont there, but they say there's 2,200 house, houses on the books coming within a three-mile radius. So there's a, a lot of people coming into that school district to kind of rent in Powdersville. And we just want to be there to, to really... Uh, share the gospel, just be a gospel presence. So um, we kind of look at this, and this is kind of where we're going to be this morning, is living your life on mission. And that's kind of the mindset that we came into this with, is we're going to live our life on mission and be a gospel-centered person. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 9. That's where we're going to be spending some time this morning in a very familiar story. And we'll get there in just a few minutes, but uh, being... Being Christ-centered is the foundation of the church. It's, it's who we are. It's, it's why we're sitting in this room, to, to be on mission. It affects everything we do. It, it affects who we are. And I would say this, being on mission, it's not a calling from God's word. It's a command. Where you go on that mission could be a calling, but being on mission is a command. Uh, I like to... Uh, I like Charles Spurgeon. Everybody should have some, some, old, some old guy that knows a lot that they read and, and learn from. And he's one of my go-to guys. I like to read some of his stuff. And he says this. He says, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. And that's a, that's a bold statement if you think about it. And if we sit back and we really apply that to our life, man, we're either a, a missionary for Christ or we're an imposter. And, and those, those words are so true as we think about um, being on mission. We're all on mission this week. We could, we could look at this church service as the start of our mission. This is, this is kind of like where we start ramping up to go out to our jobs and, and to our families. Uh, husbands and wives, you're on missions in your, in your home. Um, everywhere we go. In fact, I would say this, all across the country, the greatest sermon preached today will not come from a pulpit. The greatest sermon preached today and this week will come from you when you go out and you start rubbing elbows with the people that you come in contact with in your jobs, your workplaces, your schools. Um, 
your homes. Those are, those are the most important things. And the list, this list could go on and on and on. But we're all, we're all moving to something. And here's what we have to ask ourselves. Is, is my, my moving, my, my focus pointing to the gospel of Christ? Am I doing everything I do for God's glory? And that's where we have to come with, with, our, with our life. Is what, why am I doing what I do? Now, there's, there's no problem with having fun. In fact, I knew I was in the right place. As I was looking through your books out there, I came across a book, and it was some of the greatest hunting. I can't remember the name. But it was the, a, a book of hunting stories, and I pulled it down. I looked at it. And I want to tell you a little story about myself. I, I love to hunt. Now, some of you, I've told this story before, and I've had people like, oh, gosh, you know, and I've had people like, yeah. So if you, if you like to hunt, great. If you don't, don't, don't judge me. Don't hold it against me. But I'll never forget, several years ago, I decided I was going to turkey hunt. Well, my dad never hunted. No one, when I was younger, no one really ever hunted. So this is kind of like a hobby I did by myself. And we live on some property. And I said, I'm going to start turkey hunting. So I got a turkey call, and I got on YouTube, and I started practicing my, my turkey calls. I wanted, to do it. I wanted to do it all. So I got up real early one morning at my house, and I got that turkey call. And I walked down in the woods, and I, and I sit there, and I started kind of using that turkey call a little bit. And to my amazement, you're not going to believe this, I had a turkey gobble. And I was like, oh, my goodness, this is awesome. So, it, but it was way off. It was way off. So I got my stuff, and I started walking through the woods. I got a little bit closer, and I did that turkey call again. Does anybody turkey hunt? Okay, I'm going to tell you, don't laugh at me, okay? I got, it's it's kind of like this. Now, this isn't good. I have a call, but it's kind of like, this is what it sounds like. Kind of like, you do like that, right? And the turkey, and you're like, yeah, there it is. So I'm going after this turkey, and I get through the woods, and I get, I get close. And I'm like, man, I'm on, my, I'm on the edge of my property. I, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. And this is a long, drawn-out journey. Y'all. This is my heart beating like I, this, is, this is a big deal. So I'm on a mission to, to get this turkey, and I'm calling. It's gobbling. I'm getting closer. It's gobbling louder. And I get to this hill, and I'm like, okay, I'm on my property line, but i got to see what's going on. So I'm crawling up this hill. Y'all. My neighbor has pet turkeys, and I didn't know it. <laughs> Listen, I'm not kidding either. Uh, and I sit there, and I said, God, you got me. I said, that is funny. And I, I sit there. I did. I laughed for a few minutes. I like, this is the best. This is the best story ever. But he had pet turkeys in his, in his fence. And, and what? Why I tell you that story is because I was on a mission that morning. It wasn't a mission for God, but it was a mission. I was determined, and it just didn't turn out the way I planned. But I still give it to the Lord. I said, you know what? God cares about the small details in our life as well. And I have no doubt that he was like, gotcha. Because I'm a, I'm a jokester. My, my wife, my kids, I, I torture them. I just love to play jokes and scare them and, and all, this, all this crazy stuff. So the Lord got me on that. And... He cares about the small details. And that's where living on mission for the Lord, that's where I can say that the small things matter. The little, even the little things like the ter- turkey mishap, even the little things in your home, uh, when, when your kids spill the milk on the floor, how you respond. All right, those, those things really matter. And those, believe it or not, are the big things. In your, in your home. 
that make a difference, how we respond when things don't go right. And I'm the number one failure, I, I promise. I could tell you story after story. Uh, I got one I can tell you right now, but I'm not going to. Um, but God cares about the little things in our life because everything is little compared to God. Amen. Everything. Luke chapter 12, verse 7 says this, Indeed, the very hairs on your head are numbered, so don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Listen, if God takes the time to keep up with the hairs on our head, he's a God of detail. And he cares about the little things. Because the little things roll up into the big things. He cares about every detail in our life. Every mission, desire that we have must be presented at the feet of Jesus for him to use it in our life. We don't get the chance to check out on our personal life and say, well, this is my goal. I kind of want to do it this way. That's not what God has for us. Every detail has to be his. When we fail to meet Jesus in the details of our everyday life, we often fail to meet Jesus. He then will turn into a backup plan, something we turn to when things aren't going well in our life. When things, everything we planned aren't going well, then we, we kind of turn to Jesus. Or we live our life without Jesus living in us and through us. And we begin just, to, it's just something we do. We become religious. You remember the religious leaders in the day. That's what we become. The focus isn't on Jesus anymore. But it's on, on religion and on things. It becomes all about us and what we want, what we think. And we forget it's not about that. So many things that, that we do, Jesus doesn't care about. He doesn't care about, he doesn't care about, he cares about people. He cares about the gospel, salvation. That's what we should care about. That should be our focus. The fun stuff is cool, and we should use it with the purpose of sharing Christ with people. And y'all did a good job when we walked into church today. This is one of the friendliest churches I've been to. Y'all did a, it just felt, y'all were prepared for worship. It just, it just felt good. People were smiling. People were speaking. So thank you. Continue to do that. Continue to be the light to the community inside this building and outside. Paul states in Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, he says this, According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Our life is a mission and everything at the point of Jesus. And speaking of this guy named Paul, let's look at Acts chapter 9. He began his life on a mission. And then God intervened and changed his life forever. I say this because I believe Saul was one of Christianity's greatest enemies. Yet the Apostle Paul is one of Christianity's greatest heroes. In fact, Warren Wiersbe says this, perhaps the greatest event in church history after the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost was the conversion of Saul, the leading persecutor of the Christians. Here's a man that, that said at his goal to get permission to go and to drag Christians out of their homes, 
and to beat him and kill him. And God changed his life and used him so much to where now over 60% of the New Testament, God used him to write it, to give us the words that we read today. So let's look at Acts chapter 9. Now let's look at this familiar story and see how this, this man and his mission was changed. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to, listen to this, the way, men or women, that he might bring, bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you'll be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him, they stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he's, he was without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. Let's pray. God, we come to you. We thank you for the truth in your word. We thank you for, for the calling you placed on our life, for salvation. And Lord, we want to be on mission for you. We want you to use us in, in amazing ways, not because we are good, but because you are good, and we seek to honor your name. Lord, give us many opportunities to be the salt and the light to those that we come in contact with. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. You could sum this up by saying a religious man was converted to Christ. Here was a man who thought he was doing, listen to this, he thought he was doing the right thing by protecting the Jewish faith. He thought he was. His mission was so self-focused. When I was reading through this, I told you to, to check this verse out when he said the way. I like the phrase of the way in verse 2 because I don't think it's by chance that this refers to where John, John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, in the life, and no one comes to me. No one comes to the Father except through me. These early believers, they were identified as the way, the only way. And see, there was a problem to the religious leaders of that day, to Saul. It didn't, refit, it didn't fit the religious mold. And honestly, it's a problem today. It takes a lot of courage to say Jesus is the, is the only way. A lot of people say, you know, you're just closed-minded. You don't get it. it. It's slipping into politics. It's slipping into everything we have today. And sadly, it's slipping into the church. And Satan's battling with us so much to where we have such a horizontal view of everything that we start nitpicking each other over the horizontal stuff, over the stuff that at the end of the day is not going to matter. But we want to get, what we have to come back and do is say, you know what? 
does this matter when I look to Jesus? Now, we have to stand on the truth of God's word and what, what we believe in our convictions. But a lot of these things, we can just throw them to the side and say, I'm focused on Jesus. We're going to focus on him. We're going to focus on sharing the gospel and on loving people no matter what. But these people, the religious leaders in their day, saw one of these guys. He wasn't going to have it. He was protecting the Jewish, Jewish faith. If you would have stopped Saul and you would have asked him his reasons, he probably would have said something like, Jesus is dead. Do you expect me to believe that a crucified dead guy is the Messiah? These people, they're, they're a cult. We have to eliminate them before they destroy our Jewish faith, before they break all the laws of our Old Testament. And it's sad to see churches that would rather close their doors, which happens every week across America, than to step back and say, what do we need to do different to love our community? And this is fresh for me as a church planner because I go to these churches and I go to meet with our pastor, and I say, hey, I'm, I'm a church planner. I, I, I really love this community. I want to come alongside you. What can I do? And, and they're running 15 or 20 people. And I, I literally had a pastor tell me, man, we don't reach our community. He said, we're doing good to keep the doors open. He told me, he said, I'm 70 years old. He said, I mean, what a, it's a great location, too. He says, I clean the church. I cut the grass. I preach. He says these people, he said, they don't want to do anything. They just want to come and sit here because that's what they've always been doing. And they want me to bring a message to them. He says, and I, I, I love them and I preach hard, but they're happy. They're happy just sitting there and, and they're used to doing what they're doing. And I think about it, and I'm like, man, that's, that's such a picture of so many churches to where we get comfortable. And we just say, you know what, we'll just continue to do this because we're comfortable and we're happy. But God's called us to make, to make big steps, to not be comfortable. When we get comfortable, let's say, all right, let's have a vertical focus on what's our next step on sharing the gospel to the people that God's brought us to, to reach. I love the story of Esther. I don't know if you know the story of Esther. If you don't know the story of Esther, oh, man, what an amazing story. But remember, she was, she was told that maybe you're here for such a time as this. That's the, that's the key line. You're here for such a time as this. What are we going to do with it to honor God and please God? Go read Esther if you're not familiar with it. Amazing, amazing story. But Saul was on a mission. He was on a religious and a self, self-righteous mission. It was about him. He was spiritually blind. He was a man who was blinded by darkness and he's about to be blinded by the light of heaven. And when blinded by darkness, you see everything but God. And that's where he was. He was so focused on himself and on his religion and their laws that he didn't see anything else until God came and got right in front of him and blinded him. And he realized he had to change his mission. He had to change his message. And many of us, we're in the same place. We realize our mission doesn't match the message of Christ. And we need to say, God, we want everything we do to match the message of Christ. 
And guys, I'm, I, listen, I'm, I'm married. I have three little kids. I know how it is. It's not that easy. It's not. It's hard work to say, man, I'm going to live on mission every single day. I'm going to be an example of Christ every single day. Because I promise you, as soon as you, as soon as you start saying that, as soon as that's a, a value in your life, it's something you wake up in the morning and you say, God, this, and Satan's going to start attacking, I promise you. And you're going to be in a battle. And you're going to start saying things and doing things. You're going to go, whoa, where'd that come from? I better spend some more time with the Lord. In fact, I will tell you this story, okay? What's my, my good? I'll tell you the story. I wasn't going to, but I got to. So my kids are nine, eight, and five. And I cussed in front of them two weeks ago for the first time. I'm a human, all right? I, I know, I'm, listen, I'm church planner. Yeah, I'm not supposed to do those things, right? Well, it happens, okay? For the first time, and my kids, they didn't let me forget about it. But it wasn't an angry because I'll tell you what happened. We have this long driveway, long, long driveway. It's an asphalt driveway. And I'm out in my building, and we have some trees, and I can't see up the driveway. But I'm in my building, I'm looking, and here comes my son on his bicycle, like 100 miles an hour down the driveway, because it's got this slant to it. And I knew my little girl, Ruthie, was on her little three-wheel scooter, one of those little scooters that has the wheel in the back and the two wheels in the front. And I knew she was riding that around. And I was like, I seen him come down, and I was like, oh, no. I hope she's not following him. And about the time I cleared the trees to look, here she came down probably doing about 110, <laughs> and she got the wobbles. And I was like, oh, no, she's in trouble. And she ate it. I mean, just ate it. In fact, I think she still got scars on her, or she's still scratched up from it. Her feet got tore up, you know, and, and I, it scared me so bad that I, I said a bad word out loud. <laughs> and we went and picked her up and cleaned her up and everything. We got in the house later, and my wife said, the kids, you know, they're talking about you, your cuss word. <laughs> so I had to tell them. I was like, listen, I'm sorry. Uh, I made a mistake, and, um, you know, forgive me for that. I'll, I'll try not, you know, try to, try to do better. But, I, I mean, I just realized, I sit there, I was like, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. I've, I feel like I've held it under control, and then all of a sudden, bam, there it is. So I was, I was disappointed, but it happens. So going back to where if we're going to live on mission, man, Satan's, Satan's going to start fighting. He's going to start attacking. You're going to start, you, may, you may have some attacks that you've never faced before, but you surround yourself with people that are like-minded. That's why, that's why we do church, right? We come together and we say, you know what? We're going to pray for each other. We're going to live messy lives together, but we're all focused on Christ together. And that's, and that's what it's about. And you, you, these little slip-ups, you learn from them, and you grow from them. And you say, kids, I'm sorry that, that you heard Dad say that bad word. I'll, I'll try to do better. I can't promise it won't ever happen again because I'm a human, and I live with three, in, three little kids. And no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no excuses. But, um, but, man, what an opportunity we have to be the church, right? What an opportunity we have. And that's how I look at it. It's like, God, thank you for using me in spite of me, and give me an opportunity to, to speak truth. As church leaders and, and faithful congregants, we must ask ourselves, are we doing all that we can do to make sure our, our mission matches the message of the gospel? And Jesus, the last thing he said in Matthew 28, 
And we always say this, the last thing sometimes that we say, we want to be one of the most important things. Like if I gave you a second and I said, if you could say something to the people in this room and it would be the last thing you would ever say, what would you say? And you'd probably want to think on that a little while, right? You probably just want to jump up here and say something. You probably want, no, I want this, if this is the last thing I'm ever going to say, I want this to mean something. I want this to be important, to be challenging. And here Jesus in Matthew chapter 28 with the Great Commission, it's one of the last thing he says. And this is Jesus talking. And here's what he says. He said, and Jesus came and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now listen, the greatest story, the greatest news, and I hope you would agree with me, to ever be told is what Jesus came and did for us, right? Amen. That's, amen, that's right. And he could, this is Jesus we're talking about, he could have chose any way for that, sh that story to be, to be told, to be shared, and to be showed. But guess how he did it? He chose you, and he chose me to be the example of who the world sees. That's special. That's really special. Because you're special. And God's called you. And he saved you for a purpose. And now it's our job to go out and share the greatest story ever to be told. Life-changing story. I'm sure if we, if we opened up, we talked in this room, there's story after story how Jesus has changed our lives, has changed our loved ones' lives, and I'm sure there's many more stories to come how he's going to change other people's lives. And he's going to use us to be the salt and the light. He's going to use us on mission to share the gospel. And that's, that's, our, that's our goal as a church. We're on a mission to take Jesus to the nations. We're on a mission in Fountain Inn. We're on a mission in Piedmont. And we're on a mission all around the world as brothers and sisters in Christ. And you matter. Your mission matters. Saul, one person, mattered. And God changed his life. And he used them in amazing ways to change the world. In fact, we're still being affected today because of Paul's obedience to what God did in his life. What a privilege. Church, let's, let's pray together. God, we come to you. We are so humbled and thankful that you choose to use us to be your mouthpiece, to share the greatest story ever told. I know all we do is come and plant the seeds, Lord, and you save. But God, you chose us to come and to plant these seeds, to share the truth, the love of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and to allow others to see the, the change that is made in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds. Help us to be Jesus to everyone we come in contact with. Help us to be Jesus in our homes, 
Lord, we love you and we thank you for everything you've done. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.